added time is supported by Fitbit. Get real-time insights on you and your world with the Fitbit Versa 2, the all-new premium smartwatch with Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a 5-plus day battery life. It is finally here, Pat. It feels like we've been winding up to this World Cup for about 18 months now. Well, you're talking about the World I meant the BMW Championship in Wentworth. Oh, right. It's the first time Rory McIlroy's playing, Victor Hovland, hotshot Norwegian amateurs. Come Anyway, no, we're not talking about that. We are talking about the Rugby World Cup, which is finally here. Yeah. Hooray. It is. And uh, it's very exciting. It's We've gone through... All the kind of stages of of grief, of grief <laughs> ahead of this World Cup. There's been we never quite denied that it would happen. Well, I think we did for a while. In the midst of the hurling championship, I guess. <laughs> but we did go, kind of go, get from we're, we're going to win this thing. Well, there to, is that. Yeah, uh, I can't believe they're letting us in it. Yeah, and uh, now we've now the that pr- it's here, we're on you're the upswing again. I think yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, the uh, coolest thing about it, actually. Um, it's Saturday morning. Yeah. We have, so we have, uh, the Irish Times has, has three people over there at the minute. We have Keith Duggan, who will be at the opening game between uh, Japan and Russia on Friday, which is tomorrow. Uh, Gavin Comiskey, uh, who will be at Argentina and France on Saturday. And Jerry Thornley, of course, who will be at the Springboks in New Zealand on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then everybody will be at the Ireland match on Sunday. But the Saturday morning, yeah. It's a fantastic smorgasbord. It really is. You can uh, get yourself up out of bed at for the 5.45 start of Australia versus Fiji. Sure. You know, just as a, a little uh, aperitif. Mm. And then later on, we're, we will have well, the 8.15 game, France-Argentina, a possible group decider, yeah. which is obviously huge. And then 10.45 on Saturday morning, New Zealand-South Africa, literally... Two heavyweights rumbling in. It's an astonishing start to a tournament in fairness. And what's on Sunday? On Sunday morning, you are unlikely to jump out of bed quite as quickly. 6.15, Italy take on Namibia. How dare you? How dare you? That's one for the purists. Yeah. Which is what we are. Yeah. Um, And then that will be followed by 8.45, Yokohama Stadium, Ireland, Scotland. Yeah, I don't know if I'll watch that. It's a big one. You think? Very exciting. Mm, I don't know. Anything can happen. <laughs> Anything can happen. Well, that is that is it. That is the cool thing about sitting here on the Thursday before the tournament. Anything can happen. Even even a tournament that as quietly predictable as the Rugby World Cup, where we sort of okay, there's basically nine teams can make it to the last eight, and that last eight is a month away. It is still exciting. Yes, sitting here, sitting here two days before it starts, or a day before it starts. Well, I don't think World Rugby be hiring you to hype up the tournament for them, but they couldn't afford me, Pat. Yeah, well, couldn't that's why you're sitting me. here. <laughs> this is why only the Irish Times can put up that sort of money. <laughs> we may as well get into it. We're going to go over to Japan. Uh, Gavin Kominsky and Jerry Thornley are waiting to talk to us. How are you, lads? All good, thank you. Very well. Um, okay, well, let's start. It's here. Uh, I guess. We may as well start with the Ireland game on the weekend. We can talk a, a bit wider uh, as we go on. Um, Jerry, Ireland, Scotland. Uh, one thing that uh, is sort of domi- starting to dominate the coverage a little bit over here is the fact—the fact of the weather, the fact of 
uh, how it looks like it's going to be a rainy day. Um, so it's just going to be a, a simple old Six Nations game, yeah? Well, with a nice pitch underfoot that holds up pretty well, I'd say, yeah, but it looks like it's going to rain, all right? Maybe not quite as bad as Joe Schmidt was fearing um, a week ago. It's uh, pretty risky business taking a Japanese weather forecast at face value, but certainly week out. Um, according to Greg Feek, who knows the climate here better than anybody else in the Irish camp, it's very unpredictable and very changeable. And today, actually, was a glorious day in Yokohama. The sun's been shining all day, but yeah, the forecast is for it to rain heavily tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Hard to see how Ireland are going to avoid that. Gav, the uh, team uh, will be announced tomorrow, but I think we're getting a fair rumbling of, you know, the injuries that that, that have hit during the week. The back three, uh, there, there's going to be changes there. Uh, how is Joe going to feel about the level of work that they've done over the past sort of 18 months to get this strength and depth of the squad to the point where he can take a few injuries in the week leading up to the start of the World Cup and still be happy with his team? I'd say he's not too bad. And they were kind of pretty bullish about this, Richie Murphy and uh, Andy Farrell yesterday, simply because Larmer and Conway, who are expected to start, have seen a good bit of rugby in the warm-ups and they've used them in the positions that they want to expose them to. Uh, then again, having said that, though, it's not... Um, it's not what you want. Like Rob Carney, it's just so essential, especially if the weather turns the way it does. Mm. Um, and I was actually up in Yokohama in the stadium today. Uh, considering the All Blacks and South Africans are going to cut up the pitch, it could be a bit messy the next day, you know. Mm. But um, yeah, the, the back three is going to be a potential weakness or potential strength because you've got three unbelievably good attacking players. If it is Conway, uh, or uh, Conway, Stockdale and Larmer, you know, that's going forward. It's as something that's even a match for Stuart Hogg and all them. But um, I still, no matter what happens, I'd be, I'd be not as confident as I was uh, for the whole time about beating Scotland, having spent a bit of time in the Scottish camp this week. And Stuart Hogg sat down and he didn't say it once, he said it twice. He goes, we're here to win the World Cup. Very calm, very chilled group. Jerry, how do you imagine that the weather, if, if the, the rain does come, will affect Ireland's tactics? There's already talk that there could be a lot of a lot of box kicking which we saw being ineffective in the Six Nations but that could come back into play in this game Well I think there will be a lot more box kicking um, there was none in the first three games but then um, Conor Murray did box kick in the fourth uh, that's to keep that as part of, part of their um, their armoury perhaps also to keep the Scots guessing because if you know Greg, Gregor Townsend looks at the first three games he doesn't see Ireland kick once then the fourth he does see the box kick so they have to prepare for that I think they certainly would have anyway, given the long-range weather forecast. So there will be more box kicking by both Conor Murray and Craig Laidlaw. There'll probably be a lot more one-off runners and a recycling game that I think will probably suit Ireland more. There'll be more scrums because the, the ball will be spilled more. And again, you'd imagine um, Ireland's scrum has really come on in the last four years under Greg Feek. It's a, a noticeably better um, collection of props and hookers than was the case four years ago going to the World Cup. With real impact off the bench as well. Um but it will also mean that uh, there'll be probably less width and less risks taken in the game and probably makes the little grubber in behind the uh, tactic of choice. And in this, of course, um, Ireland have added a bit more variety to their kicking game, but there's no really more dangerous kicking game than Finn Russell's. It'll be tailor-made for his little short-range kicking game. He's an uncanny ability with a just featherweight touch to find space in behind the front line of defence. Um, and it's going to make it that type of game, you would imagine. Less risk... Uh sort of feels like it would suit Ireland, Jerry. Would that be that be fair? You would have thought so, yeah. The Scots would, I mean, both teams would prefer a dry, a dry day, that's for sure. But the Scots would probably prefer that little bit more. Um, their game is very much based on a, 
a very high tempo. They've um, Ireland have won seven of the eight games um, between the, the countries under Joe Schmidt's watch, but a lot of them have been quite close, nervy affairs, and certainly the Scots have troubled Ireland's defence out wide. It has a tendency to get narrow. They're very good in the outside channels. They score tries and they've left tries behind in some close games. And I think that uh, they would have preferred a drier condition more than Ireland. Ireland, like I said, you would imagine this would suit their strong maul, their defensive maul, their scrum, their one-off runners, their ability to recycle the ball ad nauseum. And uh, you would be no surprise if on a wet day, Ireland have 60% plus of possession in the territory and play just good old-fashioned cup rugby and to get over this one. Talk to us about that Scotland team, Jerry, because it, it it always strikes me any time we have you in here before a Scotland game, uh, Gavin's always very bullish, and you, you're always kind of going, Jesus, I, you know, Scotland always, I, you know, they always have a tendency or they always have a chance to haunt Ireland. What what about this iteration of them heading into the World Cup? Well, I think they've got a for the first time in any World Cup cycle, they've got a core of relatively high achieving players with their provincial sides, as well as a smattering of talent based abroad, which is making the most of just having two teams. So Glasgow particularly have been quite a successful side in recent years. That's that's a new that's a change. Um, I think they won the Pro 12 in the year after the last World Cup. So they've had a pretty good four-year cycle provincial level, unlike any time before. Um, they've got talent to burn in the outside channels when you think that they could pick a back three. That's probably going to be Stuart Hogg, as Gav mentioned, who is world-class, no doubt about it. Jet Heald. Uh, Sean Maitland, a really accomplished player, and Tommy Seymour, and not have Blair Kinghorn or Darcy Graham. So they've riches in abundance out wide. They've plenty of options in midfield. A lot goes through Finn Russell. He's a bit of a maverick talent. Um, he uh, He's the instigator-in-chief for much of what they do. It's noticeable when they're attacking the line, and whether it's Greg Laidler or Ali Price the, the, at the base of a ruck, they invariably look for Russell. They don't tend to go to another receiver. He's the man who pulls the strings. As I said, he's got that short little kicking game into the in-goal area, which can be lethal. He's also got a, a great width in his pass. He's got a good cross kick as well. So they tend to go a lot through him. And he's the key man in them. If you shut them down, if you shut him down, I think you can go a long way to beating Scotland. Um, I think that, like I said, with the conditions being the likely the way they are, I think Ireland will go after Russell. And in a cup tie, you'd always rather have Johnny Sexton than Finn Russell because... Well, as we saw when Racing were at home to Toulouse in the European Champions Cup quarterfinal last year, when Toulouse were down to 14 men after 20 minutes, Racing had that game at home to win and they just didn't know. Russell and his fellow entertainers in the Racing backline didn't really know how to manage the game properly and they uh, they let Toulouse escape with a famous victory. Um, so, like I said, while they're, they're a danger, a huge danger, and they're, they're probably less so in these conditions. And I still think that when push comes to shove, although except Gab's point entirely that you know Stuart Hogg and these players go in with un- untold belief, watching their final warm-up game, watching their three warm-up games that they won against France and Georgia back-to-back. I didn't see the first one against France, but you they built momentum. Their scrum has been well-tested against the French and Georgian packs, and you'd swear when they won their last game against Georgia and Murrayfield last Friday week um, that they just won the World Cup. They're certainly a buoyant crew, and they certainly come on um, with their confidence very, very high. Yesterday when I was there, uh, Jerry, one thing they hadn't uh, ever taught, I've never heard from the Scots before, like Hogg was saying, defence is World, World Cups. Since the middle of June, since we've come in, all we focus on is defence. And what they're kind of saying, it was like, um, we've kind of, we do not want to be trying to get to a World Cup quarterfinal, having to beat Japan in Tokyo. 
or on the last game in actually in Yokohama in the last game of the pools. So they've targeted Ireland from the whole thing. And um, they also their whiz just from being in their camp, and it is very happy go lucky, which doesn't mean much in the week beforehand. But um, they uh, they have this kind of a, almost a vibe like the, the Pumas did in 07. Um, and one of their another it's a huge motivation that they do have is. Um, they don't like Ireland, and there's been a lot no, of niggle true. more more from their side than uh, the Irish. Like kind of it, it, almost like an arrogant kind of tier one team over the years that used to not even notice that we didn't like them. You know, <laughs> um, they there is like a kind of a they feel like two years ago that Joe Schmidt didn't give them the credit for winning that game in Murrayfield because he came out and the first thing he said in the press conference was he blamed the bus being late and had a pot at the Scottish police. They they took that to heart. They were like, "Oh, how dare you not give us the credit for winning a Six Nations match?" So they have been storing all this stuff up you know and they it's going to be they believe that they win the game with defence which sounds very unlike the Scots I'm know? worried now definitely very I was worried, worried after spending a few bit of time with them yeah but I still <laughs> think Ireland are going to win because the pack's better but it did make me soften my cough sorry Gab but there's bad blood as well isn't there and has been for years particularly between Glasgow and Munster there's you know familiarity breeds contempt they've been drawn in Europe so they played four times they're, they're close rivals um, they they will go after Conor Murray as they've done before. They've rattled him before. They'll go after Johnny Sexton as they did in Murrayfield last uh, last Six Nations when Alan Dell was more prepared to put a hit in on Johnny Sexton than prevent the try from his little pass into Jacob Stockdale. They you know there yeah. there there is an edge. There's no doubt about this too. The thing about Alan Dell, uh, he, he put his late shot in on Sexton. He was actually sitting uh, at the press conference I was in, and WP Nell was there as well. And I didn't think to ask Alan Dell the question about Sexton because I didn't for a second I doubted it was him because he didn't look big enough to be a Test match prop. Um, <laughs> there, like this is the thing for every. Everything. They really do sound like they're brimming and all that, but like, like they're journalists and their players are matey. Everyone's getting on well, and they're, they're really they're reaching for the stars and all that. But if it comes down to a dirty, messy game, the Ireland pack that we expect to see, like with Henderson or whatever, it, it's gonna have should have way too much for them. This is great. You're like hype men for the WWE or something. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a friendly game, but now it's starting to sound like a grudge match. Um, here, Gavin, listen. Um, the We've heard these stories of teams training for the bad weather and using baby oil on the ball and all that, uh, anticipating a deluge on, on Sunday. What will Rory Best think about that and what will how will it affect the Irish set pieces which have been kind of under pressure for the last few weeks? Am I macho man Randy Savage, yeah? Um, <laughs> the, the the Scots were talking about, they used this, um, they were here a couple of years ago and there was this kind of weather and they used this tape, uh, sticky tape on fingers that a lot of teams have started to use now. Um, the oil thing has just become this running joke at every press comment you get. It's getting really annoying now, the baby oil <laughs> thing. Um, it's, uh, look, when, when the whole thing that comes back down is Ian Henderson is almost certain to going to be calling the line outs and Rory Best has still kind of, they they still have to get their act together from the Twickenham thing. They still haven't been, like the, the Scottish liner will hunt them and go after them. And that, if that, if, the, if that creates doubt, then the whole thing could, could fall apart. But um, today, actually, myself and Peter O'Reilly from the Sunday Times said, Feckett will walk the seven kilometers, which turned out to be uphill up to Yokohama Stadium. And about two, <laughs> about two kilometers, I, I, I think it's an off day for the Irish team. And about two kilometers into it, across the road, we saw these two men with these big fish nets. It was uh, Simon Easterby and Rory Best, clearly, you know, 
the line-out throwers, they use these big, huge fist nets so Bess can fling the ball up and it gets caught in the net. You could, they were up like, it's like, this is like still downtown Yokohama. The two of them were <laughs> rambling back from some park they'd found to practice the line-out. So you can be sure every waking hour used to be in Bester together, just clicking away, clicking away, going, the set piece has to be like reputations are on the line, like so. I, I think okay, I think they'll get it right. Well, it's glad to know that your Fitbit miles will be off the charts by the end of the World Cup, Gav. Uh, that was the first bit of fitness <laughs> I did, Miles. <laughs> uh, Jerry, let's broaden this out a bit uh, and talk about the World Cup in general. It's a, there. There are enormous games this weekend. It re- the the tournament really, the, whatever way they've organised it, it really does start with with some of the biggest games that there are going to be in the tournament. There's never been an opening weekend like it. Mm. There's never been a collision in round one like New Zealand against South Africa. You know, they've won five World Cups of the previous eight. Um, the back-to-back champions against the reigning rugby championship winners. It's just, it's a monumental get, get clash. And mm. then, you, that's, a, that's a definite pool decider. It, it's a probable pool decider between Ireland and Scotland. And it could well go a long way. The, the France-Argentina game, while England yeah. are the favourites to win that pool, could well go a long way, certainly, to decide which of those two qualify for the last eight. So I can't recall ever a weekend quite like this. Japan are given the easy ones first up against Russia. They're the hosts, so they get to have a little bit more influence in the scheduling for a tier two nation that had hitherto been the case for the World Cup. But yeah, they're mouth-watering games. In the last three meetings between the All Blacks and South Africa, there's not literally not been a point between them. They scored the same number of points the last three games and one win apiece and a draw. Um, and South Africa go in boy by winning the rugby championship. I think I'm right in saying, Gav, they're the only team this year that are unbeaten. Um, they've got power yeah. plenty. Uh, watch them in the rugby championship. Their performance is like away to Argentina. They went 7-0 down early on. You think this is going to be a great game. And um, uh, an hour and 20 minutes later, it was 40-odd points to 10. Did you hear what Erasmus said about Garces? Have you heard, have you heard his comments? He was doing no. a presser yesterday. And he was like, all the tight decisions always go to the All Blacks. And it kind of, they're almost gone. And Garces, who was sent off, actually, Sonny Bill Williams and Scott Barris in the last few, in the last few <laughs> years. Uh, he started, Rassi Rasmus started this and Steve Hansen came up today. Like, these are the two, the two big alpha dogs in front of the microphones for these, the two biggest rugby nations in the world. And Hansen comes forward and goes, yeah, I like Rassi Rasmus. I respect him for what he did. But what he said there is basically bullshit. He's trying to put pressure on the referee. Uh, like, they're, they're really at it. They've been going, like, all this kind of pre-match stuff about, obviously, the scandal with Wales and the gambling and there's a lot of doping talk and the build up mm. all of this stuff it's going to it's all just going to flitter away once these two big huge nations go at it so this is the time to actually get all the all the things that are deeply wrong and uh, wrong with rugby and all that now is the time to write about them because mm. it will um, like even Fiji Australia we haven't even touched on that like there's there's, uh, there's so many things about to happen but um, yeah, well hang on Let, but the one interesting thing I have about, or well, one of the interesting things about uh, South Africa and New Zealand is um, how, like, it, it looks on paper, it's, a, it's an enormous match for the first weekend of the tournament. And yet, are, like, is it important to both of them to finish on top of the other uh, in this group? Like, they, they'd be facing, I, I guess, they'd be facing either Ireland or, they're both going to go through, they'd be facing either Ireland or Scotland in the quarterfinal. Is it... Is there a huge? Is this a, a huge game, or are they? Is it just the first uh, the first skirmish uh, ahead of them ahead of the meeting down the line? It's huge, and like Kieran Reid already said, it's one of the biggest games of my life because they have to. You don't win a World Cup if you don't win all your matches. That's what history's proven over time. And also, 
the winner of this almost certainly avoids Ireland. And Ireland have the ability to beat these teams. It's proven, right? So they, they both notice. It's a little inkling in the back of their brains. They will take Scotland and Japan every time and stroll that way in. And then they'll have an, probably an England semi or whatever. But yeah, no, it's massive. And what's really interesting is the box out of nowhere for the last year, they know their team. They know exactly how they're going to play. Just remember Munster two years ago. New Zealand don't know their team. Sonny Bill Williams is on the bench now. They've, got, they've gone away from Jack Goodhue. They've gone back to Mwunga at out half. They, they, this is the first time in since back in like 03 when uh, they, they threw Christian Cullen into outside centre out of nowhere that the All Blacks are coming into a World Cup unsettled, not knowing their best 15. Jerry, the other, you touched on it there. The, the one really like uh, definitive game this weekend is Argentina-France because... Like it's very feasible that their world the World Cup is over for one of these teams after after the weekend. Yeah, just a quick word in response to what Gav said there as well. The other thing as well about this, Mal Gav, is that in the previous eight editions of the World Cup, no team has ever lost a pool match and gone on to win it. Now this might well be the exception, and whoever loses this open game between New Zealand and South Africa will go on to win it because just the, they're they're both good enough to do so. But it, it's a huge game in terms of the momentum for the pair of them as well, and I. I can't believe but that whoever wins tomorrow immediately becomes huge hot favourites to win this tournament, or sorry, on Saturday. And I, although the, I agree totally with what you're saying, Gav, it's remarkable when you think that the, the midfield is unsure, they're going back to this dual playmaker, the, the back row is relatively new, they left out Owen Franks in the eve of the tournament. It's so unsettled compared to four, four years ago when I think, you know, you could, only, you could have named the World Cup starting 15 or certainly 12 or 13 of it before the tournament started. You can't with any yeah. degree, something like the same degree of certainty this time. It's quite unusual for the All Blacks. But they are being very brave and going with the dual playmaker system in Moonga and Barrett. And I think they learned their lessons finally when they couldn't beat the Springboks at home in Wellington when Barrett missed a kick to seal the game, go two scores clear. And then they got, the box got the, the equalising try with the last play of the game. And so Moonga is also in just because he's a better goal kicker than Barrett. Barrett's the greatest player on the planet, probably has been for the last four years. But for some bizarre reason, he's just not a great goal kicker. He can do everything else, but he can't goal kick, which is unusual for a great, truly great out half. But it might well work, you know. It might have well it suits their style of play, having this dual playmaker. They see, they, they know what's coming with them in terms of this outside in blitz, all South African defence. And I think, you've got to remember, they still should have won that game in round. They were the better side for 78 minutes. They're also the smartest team in the world. And I think they'll probably learn a lot more from that drawn match than South Africa will. And although Eden Park against the Wallabies was a one-off, highly emotional, highly charred revenge mission, um, which doesn't sort out all their ills, it's nevertheless restored their confidence to a huge degree. They needed that win. And I just think that when push comes to shove, they're still the team to beat in this tournament. I think they'll be smart enough to have learned from that Wellington game to, uh, to beat the box when push comes to shove on Saturday. As for the France-Argentina game, it's fascinating. You're right. Whoever loses that game then has to basically beat England to save a lot, mm. stay alive in the tournament. So it's guns to the head for both of them. Um, many people regard France as the likeliest casualties, big name casualties of the pool stages. For the last four years, their form has been pathetic. They've been desultory. They've looked <laughs> uninspired. They haven't looked particularly organised. But I thought there was the first shoots of a real recovery in the warm-up games. They look super fit. By all accounts, they've been training the house down. It's the one time every four years when their clubs don't get near these their elite top 31 players they train under the national structures. They've got Fabian Galtier to give them some fresh ideas. They've got power up front and talent in the back line to burn. And Anton Dupont, the rest of those little Toulouse geniuses, they've got great, great um, backs. They've got Damien Penault on the wing. 
I think Argentina just looked tired. I think the Jaguares run to the Super Rugby final, while brilliant and inspiring, has left them a little drained. The same big core players going to the well week after week after week. They do an awful lot of travelling throughout the, the year in the Rugby Championship and in the Super Rugby. And I just think they look a little flat, they look a little tired. Um, I, don't th- I think Hugo Sanchez looked a little out of sorts when he came back from Paris for the, the Rugby Championship. And because he just doesn't have the tools to work with, Mario Ledesma still hasn't been able to sort out their scrum. I think if France win that opening game, and it's going to be wet, they don't generally play well in the wet, but if they win that opening game, they then have huge momentum, they have a couple of soft enough games before they lead into England in the, the crunch final pool game, and they could be, they could be the surprise pack. And I also think that when the weather improves, the conditions out here, the hot sun, the dry pitches, um, I think they're going to really suit the French. And I, I think they'll beat Argentina, and I think they'll have a say in the knockout stages. Yeah, Mal. By the way, like Jerry's on the money with everything he just said there, uh, and he's 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 teed up both games perfectly and all that. But we really don't know what's gonna what's gonna happen in those two matches. We don't know who's the contender and who's not. Uh, like, come Monday, the next time you talk to us, we'll have so much wisdom and so much knowledge from what <laughs> mm. we just witnessed. We're gonna have such a really good read because. Um, it is. You watch the great World Cup teams over the years. They just they get up ahead of steam, and you've got to get it up on this weekend. You got to get it going on this weekend. And um, like I'm going to France, Argentina. I, I'm, I'm missing you. Uh, Jerry's at the All Blacks, and but uh, and Keith's here as well. He's he's over in Tokyo Stadium doing Japan Russia, I think. But um, we're just going to have so much. Um, we're just going to know really know what the lie of the land is, especially about like Ireland. We're going to have we're going to get the real Andy Farrell was teeing it up all this week when he's talking to us. He almost seems like he's uh, Al Pacino on any given Sunday when he talks to you. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and he was saying he was basically promising us because there's something serious coming from us was basically his message. He goes, "I promise you that." Like Gavin, we're going to have seen England play Tonga by then, which uh, is unlikely to give us really much of a read on them, but. Exactly how strong contenders are they for this tournament? England. Uh, England are... Yeah, well, England, yeah, not Tonga, talking, definitely not Tonga. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, again, again, Jerry said it there. The teams that win the World Cup, you can kind of see their, their, 12 or ter- their best 12 or 13 or 14 players before the tournament. You know their teams. We know England's team. We know the South African teams. Right now, where we sit, without any knowledge of the World Cup actually having started, England and South Africa look like the teams that, that have the, the solid, the set teams, the power game. Like, I, I personally don't think the France and Argentina will take too much off. I think England will get out of that pool, they'll win it. And I think that's why that game on the week on Saturday is so important for the team that comes out next. I think that's us, guys. I, I, I can't, like, this is a fantastic weekend. I'm buzzing for it. And, um,. I just hope that Ireland get through it well. And uh, I think we will talk to you guys uh, on Monday. I think it's safe to say, Gav, we can't wait for it to start either. It's all felt like all the warm-up games this whole last week, late-breaking injury stories, press conferences galore. You can't wait for some actual rugby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're getting a lot of bum steers along the way as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't, mind, actually. Wouldn't actually I'm just write about something that we are, what happens in front of our eyes. Well, that put it this way, lads. Between, between you guys and all the uh, other uh, travelling press pack over there, I've never read so much about the Japanese sumo scene as I have in the last few days. <laughs> With guys, I haven't written a guys, word. Guys, di- a word dying, for the, dying for the rugby to start. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we'll talk to you on Monday. All right, see you, Mal. Talk to Cheers, you, Pat. Thanks, lads. And thanks to Jenny and JJ behind the desk. Thank you to you, Pat. Thanks, Pat. And we will see everybody again on Monday. Thanks very much. Added time is supported by Fitbit. 
with Amazon Alexa built in, your personalised sleep score and a 5 plus day battery life. Fitbit Versa 2 takes smartwatches to the next level.